Hey there, I'm Grace. And I'm Amelia. And welcome to the Women Invest in Real Estate podcast, where we talk about getting started in real estate, scaling, and we give you the inside scoop about our day-to-days as full-time investors. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Women Invest in Real Estate podcast. Today, we have Soli Cayetano. We're going to talk all about out-of-state investing. Chances are you've seen her on Instagram at lattes.and.leases, right? That's right. You got it right. And seeing everything that she's up to with out-of-state investing. So we're going to dive into some lessons learned, her journey, and something really fun she has coming up here in September. So Sully, do you want to give a quick intro about maybe the market you're in, what you're up to, and who you are? Sure. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm a 25-year-old investor living in the Bay Area, California, and investing in Cincinnati, Ohio, Augusta, Georgia, and Aiken, South Carolina. So they're all markets that are over 2,500 miles away from me. And I had to do that because investing in the Bay Area is very expensive. And I started investing when I was 22. I didn't have that much money. And so, you know, trying to invest in the Bay Area wasn't very feasible for me at the time. So that's when I got started looking into out-of-state investing and trying to find a market that was a little bit more affordable. So when you were first starting out investing, how did you decide I'm going to invest out of state? And then how did you pick a market? Because I think that's the number one question we get when people are like trying to decide how do I live in California? I can't afford to invest here. Where should I go? Like, what was that process like for you? Yeah, I think when you first hear it, it sounds pretty crazy because I had some friends who invested out of state in college and I was like, what do you mean you never saw your house? Like, did mm-hmm. you just buy it off of the internet or like, <laughs> yeah. how do you know it exists? And uh, so many questions. Not the internet. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it was, it's like a crazy concept and people give me the exact same reaction when I tell them that I buy property at a state. But I guess the more I looked into it, there's like a book by David Green called Long Distance Real Estate Investing. And the more times I heard other people doing it, I was like, okay, maybe it's not so crazy. Maybe I just don't know how to do it. So that's kind of how I discovered the concept. In terms of a market, I always say like find where you have a competitive advantage. And so where you have a leg up in the market, where you know somebody, I'd happen to go for work. I worked almost all through college, but I went to Cincinnati to do a deal with a client. And while I was there, I was, you know, wined and dined and we got toured the market with developers and I was working in real estate at the time. And so we kind of saw all of the new construction that was being built. We heard about all of the investment inside downtown Cincinnati. And then the person who I was with mentioned that he owned maybe eight or nine single family houses. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like how much were your rental properties? And I think he said he bought them for like $50,000 and it blew my mind because I guess I just never realize that housing existed that was cheaper than a million dollars coming from the Bay Area. And that's kind of when I got serious about investing out of state. I thought about him. I thought about that market. I thought about the affordability. And that's how I settled on investing in Cincinnati. I love that. Okay. I just want to circle back because you said something that is so smart. You basically were like, other people were doing it. I just didn't know how to do it. But the more like you saw other people doing it, you were like, this must be feasible. Like Mm -hmm. everyone, you know, people around me are doing it. So what were some steps that you took to learn how to do it? 
So a lot of it in the beginning was just like reading books and listening to podcasts, just like very free educational things just to get comfortable with some of the steps. But I think I didn't really start gaining confidence until I met other investors. And so during the time, it was 2020, it was middle of the pandemic. Everybody was sheltered in place at home. So I had to basically find my audience online through Instagram. And that's where I guess I, I met you guys. And I met so many other people who I didn't even know like existed. You kind of live in your own bubble. And when you're in college, you know, you you party, like you go out to eat, like you go shopping. And that's kind of what you do. But when you meet a whole new group of people online who are so deeply passionate about building passive income and like the whole fire movement and the whole delayed gratification thing and the entrepreneurship, it was like a realm I didn't even know existed. And I kind of was was like dropped into it and that became my whole world. So mm -hmm. as I like was surrounded by people, it changed a lot of my mindset because now they were really, you know, complimenting me for taking a risk or like putting in the work or taking action. And so those were things that I probably wouldn't have done if I was just in my college friend group or at work, but I found myself in a community of people who really valued a lot of those things like passive income, time freedom. So you started in 2020. Yeah. So it's only been three years. Some people spend three years deciding a market. And that's and true. <laughs> that's like so terrifying. And I always like to tell people, so if you're listening, there are millionaires in every market. So like you said, Soli, just pick one where your competitive advantage is. And I feel like people spend so much time trying to dive into like numbers and population growth and all of that stuff, which is important. But where do you know people? Where do you know the area? Where is easy for you to maybe go to? Where is cheap? And I feel like if you spend three years, if you look at your example, somebody who spent three years trying to decide where to invest in three years, you've scaled to like, I don't even know how big over 30 doors. Is. I think 30, 40. Yeah. 40 doors. Well, we're flipping houses too. So it's always you're flipping houses. <laughs> you have your whole social media empire. You're about to put on a massive out-of-state investor summit, which we'll talk about in a second with huge people like Pace Morby. And a different version of you might still be deciding on if you should invest in Cincinnati or not. Yeah, which that's is crazy. Actually, it's the hangout that I see a lot of people get stuck on because there's so many options there's and there's so many distractions and so if you go and talk to anybody and say oh i had great success in Asheville and great success in the smoky mountains and great success in cincinnati i see people kind of just getting shiny object syndrome and saying you know grass is greener on the other side but really it's not like the most important thing is that you make a decision and you get going and then in the future if you decide that you want to diversify or switch your strategy i ended up switching my market after I think I built a portfolio of about 25 units. And then I switched my market to Augusta, Georgia, because I knew someone else over there. And I was mm -hmm. like, well, I can grow even bigger and faster in this market. And so I think people spend much too much time trying to noodle between markets and thinking that there is that like perfect market to get started in when that perfect market really does not exist. Yeah. And what market works for you and for us is going to be way different than works for whoever's listening. Amelia and I always see this in Iowa. I see people who like maybe have listened or I know on Instagram, like in my 100 person Cedar Rapids investor Facebook group. I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing here? This market is not going to work for you. You've never been here. It's a tiny town. Yeah. It works for me because I was born and raised there. And Amelia is even in a smaller market. And you won't even say what small market because you know people will be showing up there. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. It's just like find where you have the competitive advantage and move forward. But I also really like solely what you said about surrounding yourself with people that are doing what you want to do, because it's funny how much you can learn just by like osmosis of being around others. And like it opens your mind up to the possibilities of what your future could look like. So that's really important. And that's such an easy and free way to just learn about real estate investing to start. And so much Mm -hmm. is about mindset. I feel like 25% of the thing is knowing how to do it. And then 75% of the thing is being willing to get out of your comfort zone and just like jumping into the unknown and like knowing that you can figure it out. But for the first 10 steps, you're going to feel like very unstable. You're probably going to make mistakes. It's probably going to be a little bit expensive, but like you're going to get through it. So I think people don't want to like go through the pain of their first rental property, but they don't realize that on the other side is like you're building skills that are going to help you build the rest of your portfolio. Yeah. Such a good point. Will you tell us about some of like the big steps you took to get to where you are today? For example, I know now you have a team and you do stuff in three different markets, but what were some of those key moves that got you from flying out to tile your first rental property? Because I'm pretty sure you did that, didn't you? I did. I yeah. was following you at the time. I loved watching that. Same. That was like years and years ago, but I'm like, that oh was so long. I'm like, oh thought- shit, this girl knows how to tile? Damn. No. <laughs> I met a girl on Instagram and she I love her to this day. She dropped off her tile saw and was like, this is roughly how you do it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, it looks like arts and crafts. I'm going to try. But I, I think that, like a big part of like learning how to expand and scale is building out a team and that means like a couple different things. So you have your boots on the ground team, especially if you're an out-of-state investor, you want to have like your realtor who's actually looking for deals for you, who's putting in offers for you. So you're not, people sometimes think like, where do I get an offer form? Like, how do I submit the offer? It's like, usually, especially when you're starting out, you're not submitting offers yourself. You're going through a realtor and then like renovating your property. I spent, I think three weeks, like trying to paint a house and like trying to tile. And I'm pretty sure the day I left, they ended up repainting the whole house. And I was like, no, (laughs) my hard work, because it sucked. And so like having a contractor, like you don't have to do it all by yourself. You know, you can hire help, someone who's much more skilled to do that work for you, especially if you're investing out of state. You have a property manager. You can self-manage your properties. And a lot of people get to that point if they have a bigger portfolio. But at first, especially if you're busy in your job, have a property manager to take care of your properties day to day. And then you have like, I feel like people say the core four, the last four is is your lender. So the person who's going to help you finance your property is one of the big advantages of real estate is leverage. And so might as well have an investor-friendly lender to kind of walk you through that path. But I don't know who coined that term, maybe David Green. For the core four, what they really miss is that local investor. And I feel like that's really the in to everything is finding someone who is successful in the strategy that you want to pursue. If that's midterm rentals, then like find someone who's done midterm rentals because it's different than long-term rentals, different than short-term rentals. And they're going to be able to introduce you to the right real estate agent that matches that niche. So like, I think I looked it up and there's 50,000 real estate agents in Ohio. It's like, how are you supposed to search between 50,000 agents, find a successful investor in the niche that you want to invest in and have them introduce you to their real estate agent? It cuts through so much of the work. Wow. Those are (laughs) amazing tips. I hope everyone can rewind like three minutes and just like write those down because If you're wanting to invest out of state, like solely just nailed that. 
pretty much. You're so great, Sully. Thank you again for being on. That was amazing. But I want to get into some juicy details about (laughs) when shit hits the fan, how do you keep your mindset moving forward? Because Grace and I both know, and you obviously know, stuff is going to go wrong in real estate investing. And I think there's an added risk when you're an out-of-state investor for things to go wrong because you can't, you know, be there seeing the property every single day. And I think this is a huge part of why people also don't get started is because they're so Mm -hmm. scared of what happens when things go wrong. So can you talk about the time? Let's let's use an example of the contractor that really ripped you off. How did you Mm -hmm. like tell us which one? (laughs) There's a lot of them. Tell us, one, tell us one of those pick stories. Pick one. Pick your favorite. Because, yeah, pick your favorite. Tell us what happened. And then tell us like what you learned from that. But also, how do you not just like give up and throw in the towel? Like, What's your mindset behind that? Yeah, so I'll give you a story of a contractor who was really young and probably much too inexperienced, but he was pretty affordable. So everyone says, like, don't pick the cheap contractor because they end up being the most expensive. Well, he definitely became the most expensive because we had to fix all of his work. But at the time, like at the peak, I scaled really fast, bought like 25 units in a year. And so had a lot of vacant units that needed to be renovated. And so we were trying to find people who could handle scale. So having, you know, three, four, five plus going at the same time. So we had him working on like three properties. Probably that's a mistake too. You kind of want to test somebody out and see if they do well before you hand them bigger and bigger projects. But I think we were naive and I had a partner at the time, so I can get into how that kind of helps. But kind of just said like set him loose on all like four projects, a lot of different units. And he did not have enough experience to like handle any of it or know how to handle that amount of subs. And so it ended up like we have it to fire him. It didn't go very well. He broke into a house. He tore down all the drywall, severely like damaged everything. I think it was like $50,000 worth of damage type of thing. That's literally worst case scenario. That's what people are so scared of. Like that exact situation happening. Yeah. uh, It sucked. Like it really did suck. Can't lie. But like I'm still here and I'm still investing. And so you still get through it. It was a very expensive mistake. And it like hurt a lot at the time because it was like wow we just like so naive so dumb like didn't even think that that was a bad thing to do and we're probably going to lose a lot of money because of it but one of the beauty uh, beauties of long-term rentals is that time forgives all mistakes and so if you hold on to that property for 10 or 20 years like will it matter that we made that mistake no like it'll it's going to go up in value it's going to give us big tax benefits the rent's going to go up, our cash was going to go up, our principal payment are going to go down. So I feel like that's the one thing that makes me feel better about the whole thing. (laughs) The second thing is that like, sometimes the best way to just go through it, like you have to realize you're learning, like you're going to make mistakes. And, and if you beat yourself up over making mistakes, then like, how are you ever going to learn? And so when you're riding a bike, like you probably fall down and scrape your knees. And I don't think that you have to go through like massive scale like me. So maybe don't go buy 25 units in a year, like start with one or maybe two and work your way up. That was my story, but you don't have to do it that way. The third thing is to have the right people around you. And so I had a partner on those projects, which was nice because I wasn't 100% liable financially. And so we split the financial liability. 25000 is much better than $50,000 in my mind. And I had a job at the time. And so I was still making money and still funneling all my money I made into this project. But also I had like my Instagram audience, which sounds kind of funny 
but every investor has gone through it. You listen to horror stories. Like you say this is the worst case scenario. I was just listening to a podcast a couple days ago and it was like some guy who was working with a contractor, had done a couple successful projects, and then he gave the contractor like $750,000 and the guy walked away. I'm going to die. <laughs> like, no <Holy> way. <laughs> I'm going to throw up. And it's like, yeah, and it's like, that's way worse. <laughs> like, that's, oh, that's way, way worse. I'm, that I'm made you feel better quick. <laughs> and but but the more you talk to experienced people the more like I was listening to Rod Cleef's episode like with somebody else and he lost like 50 million dollars during the 2008 recession and he's still like he bounced back you know and yeah. so I think obviously my problems feel big at the time but put into perspective by surrounding yourself with people who've like oh yes I've been there I've done that like yeah it hurts but like you learn from it. You get better for it. I think you learn a lot from failures, way more so than you do mm -hmm. from successes. If you succeed, you're just like, great, I'm so awesome. Like this project went awesome. And then when things go really badly, like I remember sitting down and like being like, okay, let's do a postmortem type of thing. Like let's sit down and figure out all the things that we did poorly. And how do we make sure that these things never happen again? And so one thing that we ended up doing after that is we hired a local investor who was very experienced with construction and hired him as a project manager for each of the projects. And so although we do have to pay him like whatever percent of the construction amount, it's worth it because he's there to be an extension of us, almost like an owner's rep on the ground for doing, you don't have to do it, but like for very extensive renovations, it's very helpful to have somebody who's there looking over your projects who can tell you if the drywall's hung right. If I looked at it, I would just be like, great, looks good. You know, I don't really have very much construction knowledge. And so being able to hire that skill set out and having a third party there is great. And so I think that was a positive thing that came out of a hard time is being able to really pick apart and dissect some of the losses and put in place some things like third party project managers to stop that from hopefully ever happening again. I love how you turned the worst case scenario into probably a huge 10x in your business, which was hiring an entire project manager. And I was just talking with Amelia. I had this terrible experience with the tenant. And I remember thinking, if I let this be a terrible experience and nothing else, that sucks. I need to dig in, like you said, do a post-mortem review and like turn this into growing my business and adding systems and processes. So if you're listening and something bad happens... You can either let it be bad and quit and end on a terrible note, or you can use that to make a massive shift in your business, which Pain is the best motivator, right? I was just going to say, I swear my best and most productive days happen after shit has hit the fan and I really so messed true. up or somebody else messed up and it affected me. That's when I like start working on my processes and procedures 10x. Mm -hmm. It's good. Like this happened to me recently where I used to self-manage a lot more properties, but as I've grown into working on different things, I've had less and less time to do that. And I was holding on to two properties because I'm like, oh, you know, it's nice to have that extra 200 bucks per month. But we had a like a fiasco with a cleaner who said it was clean and then a guest checked in. They threw a fit. They moved out, lost a $2,000 booking. And then like it was wild. And then we had another cleaner come in and finds like all sorts of nasty things as you can imagine in the house. And so through that, I was like, oh, like I spent my entire day like texting the cleaner, texting the tenant on the phone with Airbnb support. And I was like, what am I doing? I was on a, a networking call like this. And I was like, guys, I got to go like property management issue. And they're like, why are you managing your properties? And so I don't have the systems in place like you guys do. I know you self-manage 
some of them. And so that next day, I, I called a property manager and I said, take these two properties. And so from that, it's like, it wasn't terrible, but it was a time suck for me. I didn't have any of the systems set in place to self-manage. And so it pushed me to go hire a property manager and then take that off my plate for good. Mm-hmm. This is actually a shameless plug. Was this a midterm <laughs> rental? Yeah, it was. Next week's episode. So you guys will be hearing this episode on September 4th. But the next week we're talking about processes and procedures for midterm rental turnovers. There and go. we dig deep into cleanings because those can be a huge issue with midterm rentals. Yeah. It's a different type of cleaning than other types of turnover. So check back in next week for that episode. But thank you, Soli, for bringing that up. <laughs> we planned that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. So a- what do you think that you do better than other people? What do you think's made you so successful? I don't know. Maybe it's like a resilience thing. Like it's not easy to put yourself into uncomfortable situations. Like it's not easy. Like we've gotten sued by contractors. Like we've lost a lot of money on projects and that's not like a fun feeling to go through. But I feel like I'm able to maybe navigate those situations with a little bit more positive spin than some people might have. And so instead of being like, this sucks, this isn't for me, it's like, what can I learn from this? And so maybe having like a forever learning attitude really helps, but also like being able to almost like laugh at yourself. And I think that's kind of what social media is helpful for is like there, this situation is so dumb and so out of my control and so ridiculous. I'm going to just post it on social media and I'm going to get, you know, 15 messages from people going like, wow, that sucks, but I've been there. And so like, I think that's a very helpful tool if you feel like you're alone and it can be a very lonely process if you don't have that community around you. So I know you guys do like, you have a a women's community, which is awesome because I feel like that's very needed. I think the other thing maybe is like being willing to ask for help. My friends tell me all the time, like you ask for so much advice and it's like, yeah, because I don't know what to do. You know, it's like, why would you not be very vulnerable in what you're going through? and ask people who've been there what to do. And so I'm a very big like advice asker. I'll go find the right person to ask questions to. And I have no problem being like, I have no idea what I'm doing. You know, this is the situation. What do I do? And so I think being able to do that is really valuable, especially if you go do the thing. You can't just be, I think, uh, who's the person who says this? Heather Blakenship. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> have you heard that? No, but that's amazing. I mean, that's really good. <laughs> it's so true. I, I know. I, I listened to her really fast and I was like, she's telling people not to be an asshole on Instagram. <laughs> but she said, don't be an asshole because if you're saying like you're asking people continually what to do and you're never doing it, they're going to get annoyed. It's so you guys great. probably that, that but, happens to you guys all the time. Mm-hmm. But what all happens if someone from your network says very vulnerably, like, this is what's going on. What do I do? And then goes and does it and then comes back and says, thank you so much for that advice because you saved my business, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Speaking of community, I think this is a great time to bring up this amazing free event that you're putting on that is much needed in the real estate investing community. It's going to be so amazing. It's the Out of State Investor Academy Summit. You have some huge speakers. I'm just going to name a few here. And if I've if I F up some of their names, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm just a small town girl from Iowa. I'm just but- a small town girl. I don't know. <laughs> We're going to, you're having Pace Morby, Sarah Weaver. Obviously, we know Sarah. Zasha Smith. Is it Tariq El Moussa? I feel like this is a a hotly debated topic on how to say his name. I watched about 20 YouTube videos before I asked him. (laughs) I'm I'm pretty sure it's 
Tarek Almeza. Tarek. I'm like, I got to remember from my HGTV days when I used to yes. watch his show. Like, Flipper. And his story is incredible. I don't know if you've heard it, but Mm-mm. he basically started flipping. Like, they signed a contract with him when he was, he barely knew how to flip a house. What? I know. And I was like, are you, ca-? I thought he was an experienced flipper and they signed a contract, but he had maybe flipped like a condo and they said, want to flip on national TV? Like, you have to do 10 this year. Wow. And so he learned how to flip. Talk about failing publicly. He learned yeah. how to flip on national TV. That's wow. incredible. What a motivator, though. <laughs> and, then- and I were just saying we work well under pressure. I don't know about that kind of pressure. No. That no. is it. Yes. But he's had like, you know, he has like flipper flap. He has flipping 101. And now he has flipping Musas with uh, Heather. Yes. So this is a free virtual summit. It's happening September 20th and 21st. And we're going to have a link in the show notes that you can sign up. But you can also go to womeninvestinrealestate.com slash OOS and sign up there. Make sure you mention that you heard about it from Grace Gudenkoff, our lovely co-host of this podcast. But Grace and I are both going to be attending this because there's going to be so much information. So definitely get signed up. Yeah. yeah I think what, that, what made you want to throw this? I think there's just a lack of talk. I mean, people ask me all the time about out-of-state investing and, and there is no community for out-of-state investing. You know, there's niches for multifamily. There's a creative financing niche, but like where, who is helping the people who live in expensive areas and want to invest in rural Iowa or Cincinnati or Augusta, Georgia? And so I see like such blank faces when I talk to people here and they say the same things. Do you buy a property online? Like, do you fly out there every day? You know, and so trying to educate people because there are people who want to start building passive income, but they just have no idea that it's a possibility that they can actually buy real estate and doesn't have to be in their backyard. And so one of the sessions we're hosting is with uh, Dave Meyer, the host of the On the Market podcast, and he's going to be walking through the data, the numbers of how to pick a market. And I think that's going to be a really exciting one for people who are kind of struggling to pick a market. I think that's going to be a really actionable session for people to attend and figure out how to navigate the whole country and trying to pick a market. So, mm-hmm. and like Pace Morby's talking about creative financing. We have Amy Majuri and Sasha Smith talking about how to raise private money. I think they've raised like combined $45 million or more, which is- Holy shit. I know. <laughs> I thought, I know. I, I thought you were going to say 4.5 million. I was going to no, say, No, like wow. 45 million. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of money. They have some like really good actionable like elevator pitches and like that. I'll type be of there. Thing. Yeah, I'll be in the. Good. I'll be in the chat. <laughs> Asking questions. Yeah, and so I'm really excited. I feel like the the lineup is. I'm really excited about it, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm stoked that everyone's coming together on the same day to talk about out of state investing. And I think one of the best parts is being able to be surrounded by other out of state investors. It's very rare to be in a room with thousands of other people who are doing exactly what you're doing. And so whether it's you're looking for mindset or you're looking for technical skills or you're looking how to raise private money, I think there's going to be a session that everybody can benefit from. So now that you're moving into hosting this amazing summit. You've got a large portfolio of properties already. What else are you doing in your day-to-day? What what does investing look like for you now? Are you still actively buying properties? What is that? Yeah. So a lot of my investing has, I guess I've learned to leverage other people and that's been really key to success. So at first it was just leveraging people on the ground, the realtors, the contractors, the property managers. And then I learned how to leverage partners to take away some of the things that I'm not very good at. For example, my construction knowledge is so basic. Like I don't know. (laughs) 
thought of renovate or scope properties very well. And so that was one thing that I did not want to be in charge of anymore. You know, I used to manage all the renovations and I tried my best, but it really was not good enough. And so I found a partner who is really great at managing renovations and has really deep construction knowledge and who lives in Augusta, Georgia. So he's on the ground. He can walk the properties. Another thing I didn't want to work on was um, acquisitions. And so although I can cold call people and that was my job, like back in the day, I don't love it. I don't thrive in it. And so I have a partner who handles any off-market deals, any relationships with agents, um, really like building those things and putting in offers, managing the VAs who are doing that type of stuff, which I'm very happy to have that partner for as well. And so most of my time is either focused on raising capital for our deals. So we fund our deals with private money. I spend a lot of time finding those lenders, building relationships with those lenders and doing more investor updates. Relations, that's the word. (laughs) And then also like asset management. So making sure that our properties are bringing in the right amount of rents and that we're selling properties that aren't performing well, just kind of like overview of the properties. So that's been a lot of what I'm doing right now. And I feel like it feels good because I get to focus on what I'm good at. Not that I can't manage renovations or I can't find deals. It's just everybody has what they're best at and they're able to sit in the right seats. I resonate with that so well. The last few months I've been really focusing on what you're saying, like your zone of genius. And it's Mm -hmm. been like a switch in my head of like, oh my God, I can just focus on the things I'm good at, get 10 times the results and hire out the other 80%. So that's really cool to hear where you're at with that. And again, if you're listening all in three years, so you've, you've done all this in three years. That makes me feel warm and fuzzy too, because I feel like the three of us all scaled very quickly and we were all just like learning as we went. We were all doing everything. And now all three of us, I think are really outsourcing and honing in on what we're good at. And it's it's like the best feeling. It like really brings me joy to be able to do that. It's so fun. I feel like we almost have a cohort of people who like a lot of my best friends are from when I had like 500 followers and Like my partner, Phil, who is in Augusta, I met when I probably had like 500 followers and we were in a free mastermind together. And so we have this kind of like cohort that we've all grown up together and like we've all scaled our portfolios and we've all learned how to outsource and build businesses. And I think that's something that anyone can build. Like if you're starting at zero on Instagram and you find other people who are also at zero, like it's a really fun thing to be able to build together and see where you can all like it's crazy how much you can accomplish in one year if you just like keep taking action well this was amazing Soli. again if you're listening you can learn all about out-of-state investing at her free webinar seminar coming up go to womeninvestinrealestate.com slash oos to sign up make sure you select my name grace and hopefully we'll all see you all three of us will see you there at that seminar it'll be really fun and it will be so bomb for all the knowledge that's going to be dropped yes awesome well thanks for having me guys this is so much fun catch you in the next episode thanks so much for tuning in if you loved today's episode please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts and don't forget to check us out and join our community at womeninvestinrealestate.com and follow us on Instagram at wirewithtwoeyes.community.